0: Hi, this is Keith Kefchen and you're listening to Dollars and Drivers, a podcast that allows leaders and outlet to discuss what drives them and their distinct way of succeeding in life and business. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Dollars and Drivers. Today, we're going to be speaking with Jim Abrahamson, former chairman and CEO of Interstate Hotels, and now on the board at CorePoint Lodging and VC Properties. I uh, hope you enjoy and look forward to your feedback. Hey, I appreciate you joining and, and doing this. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the drivers first. Uh, what are the things you know over your career have been the driving forces both personally and professionally uh, in terms of your success uh in your mind.
1: Great. Yeah. In framing this all out, I think that's a it's a really great way to start thinking about it. Like, um, just as you said, uh looking at it from our perspective of where I am today, what really began in a career was hard work, uh, you know, was rewarded, right? Show up on time, work overtime, uh, really led you to understand that it really wasn't your own personal contribution. It was a strong team effort that made people successful, right? I mean, it starts with you because you're the guy. Uh, And then it's all about you as part of a team. Then it's team leadership. It's really the team leadership and dynamics of engagement, collaboration, and all of those things that we learn over time that I think is more critical than just your expertise. You know, I grew up in thinking I, you know, you think you need to be the subject matter expert in everything. Mm -hmm. Now, it's really about being a leader, about being collaborative, it's about being engaged. I think the other part is, is taking on the difficult challenges. You know, I always hoped that Keith, you would call me for a job and you'd say, you know, this is great. You're gonna get paid a lot of money. The company's on autopilot. Just keep the trains running on time, and you're going to make a fortune. I've never got that job, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everything has been uh, difficult conditions, challenges, reorganization. Somebody got fired, and now you're going in, right? Mm -hmm. In a recession, uh, they need new leadership. There's an M&A project. And I think that has really been a great part of my motivation is, you know, I think companies have problems. And those problems are sometimes very obvious, right? Being ripped from the headline problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where, where bad things happen. But more so, corporations reach a crossroads and they have a challenge. They got to make decisions. And I found myself really with all the with the positions that I've taken on uh, within your organization is, is I've always come into a situation where there was either a Problem or a challenge or a crossroads. And I think that is a critical component of of people's careers, of understanding that situation, getting your arms around the problem and helping frame and develop a solution. So, Jim, again, I think about
0: Hilton Garden Inns. I think about Interstate and some of the places I know you've been and had to make some of those tough choices. Which path do we take? What did it take? What kinds of data information? was at your fingertips or not to make a decision to go left, right, or center? Yeah,
1: that's that's a great question. So I think, you know, first of all, I think hospitality is a great training ground, right? I mean, hospitality by its very nature, just I think, you know, at all, every level, it's been an area where creativity and and new ideas are, have always been rewarded, right? And there's a lot of great outstanding leaders. There's a lot of people and you can advance on merit, you know, whether you're a line level manager or whether you're a executive vice president, there's, there's always advancement on merit and appreciation. So I think it's the industry lays a training ground that allows people to be open-minded about it. So first of all, going into a situation and understanding and getting on the right path means being open minded and, re- and really thinking about what your options are and i think our industry rewards that secondly i think you know while well competition is a proxy you, you know you want to look at see what your what the other key players are doing like marriott and others that were you know obviously uh, when i was at hilton we always looked to marriott who's advancing on the brand front, maybe more quickly than we were at the time. Mm -hmm. Understand what they're doing as a proxy, but don't copy. And I think you've got to, uh, within business, be able to create something that's your own. And then bring, you know, a team together that has cross-functional abilities to be able to do it. The interesting part about hospitality is that it's a lot—it's a lot of businesses rolled into one, right? It's operations, it's brand, it's franchise, it's real estate. You really got all the components. You've got almost every business now today. Technology, right, as a component of it. So if you really look at all of the call it business sectors out there, uh, hospitality kind of rolls them all up into one. So you've got a lot of expertise around you and draw people into it that can bring their special you know, ingredients to the mix, but then find a way to be able to inspire them to contribute it. And I think when you get into that situation, that's what you really learn is you can't go in there with all the answers. You have got to get the right team together, but you got to have subject matter experts that come in with their own thinking.
0: Do you have a typical playbook or a system that you've built over time that you can lay over? Or is every situation that you walked into different that needed a different set of systems in a playbook.
1: Yeah, I I think I think it's playbook isn't as much as as having a purpose, right? And okay. and we really look at it and I thought thinking about this, it's really about engagement and being present. You know, you know when people are engaged and when they're present, right? You gotta be there. You have to see it. I remember working, I worked at Hyatt, you know, for the Pritzkers and and during that time, the first question they always asked me was, have you been there? <laughs> have you seen it? Mm-hmm. You know, And I made sure that the answer to that question was yes. I mean, do you understand it? They weren't relying on the data to make a decision. They were relying on me, right? And so I really learned all throughout my career that those, and I think hospitality helps as a training ground. First of all, be present, be there, travel. I mean, to my discredit, sometimes you're gone a lot, but yeah. see it, be a part of it, number one, lead from the front, right? I think that all of us as leaders have to ensure that we're leading from the front. And I I have too many examples of people that don't do that effectively. But when appropriate, you know, allow others to lead, right? You can lead from the rear. But I see too many people abdicate the hard decisions and they don't lead, whether from the front or from the rear. But I do believe you have to lead from the front. It's all about presence, engagement, and leadership. Then lastly, and this is what I've really learned through the boards. And I wish I really would have had a better grasp of this uh, early on in my career. It's, you know, you've got to be prepared, right? Read, study, understand your numbers, but don't be a slave to them because you really have to understand what you're trying to accomplish. But most importantly is to is the ability not to have the answer, but to ask the question. And and I really worked for, with some terrific people over time, some great leaders, you know, at Hilton, at Hyatt, and at IHG and others. And um, but you know what they're really good at? Asking the right questions. And in, in my board role, I, I've called it my kind of personal jeopardy right now. Don't have all the answers, hmm. but have your answers in the form of a question of getting to the right question rather than having all the answers. And I, and I think that's been a really good playbook for me. And fortunately, you know, later in my career rather than earlier. How do you use advisors, other people? Uh, and so
0: forth in your decision making. It sounds like you're doing that more now, or is it just you're mentoring and asking lots of good questions. But h- how do you
1: consult with others? Yeah, I think you've got to have a 360 degree view right around it. You know, today on the board level, we're really relying on management. but it's really not just management because they can have a myopic view. And, and I look at it holistically and think, when I was that manager making the presentation of the board, I was fairly myopic too. I was looking at my company. I was looking at my results. I was looking at things that we were doing rather than taking a wholesome view of saying, why are we doing this? You know, How does this link to strategy? What kind of outcomes? Are we going to look back and say five years from now that we're glad we made the decision? What kind of decisions do we need to be making now? Um, during this period of time, rather than thinking of just the challenge in front of you. So in doing that, I think you've really got to draw on expertise and people that can, that can ask those questions. And, and number two, when you think about mentoring, look, I've, I've worked with a lot of terrific people um, over time. And I don't know that mentoring in the classic form is really what I've experienced more so than working around great leaders and see what they do. You know, for example, working when Steve Bolenbach was at Hilton, rest in peace, he was one of the best leaders ever. But I, I'll tell you what I learned in that environment is I, I, we thought when he joined, he's going to be brilliant. He's going to have these sophisticated, high-minded ideals, and he's going to come in and really help us shape it. Now, what he was really good at it, he took a very complex situation and broke it down into its simplest components. And I think you, know, you work around people like that. It's not, you know, we think about making things more complicated, right? Look at all these IRRs and all of this stuff and, you know, all these measurements and we want to make it quantifiable. But I think the really great leaders that I've worked for have made things simple, not more complex. And so when you work around a lot of great people, we could spend this entire call just naming those people, Right. but you learn from them and you say, how can I adapt that? in that case, simplicity, or in the other case, I mentioned the Pritzkers. How do I, you know, saying, have you been there and have you seen it? And I find myself echoing those things. So you learn from those people over time. It's just like you're saying, I got that. That's a great concept. Let me grab that into my playbook. You know, here's some great thinking. So I think you build up an amalgamation. I don't want to say that any of those people mentored me directly, but the indirectness of always be learning, see what other great leaders do. And then turn it into your own special brand. Could you maybe
0: expound upon Steve's greatness? I remember it being called the four pillars, doing work with you and other Hilton folks. I even used to go on the quarterly phone calls and he used to talk about the four pillars. What was that? What what did it mean?
1: I think what it, allowed people to do is to shape a story. You know, what is Hilton? You know, it was this beautiful, big brand. It was a company that had a history to 1919. Mr. Hilton, you know, and his father before him were legendary. And, you know, we had hotels like the Waldorf Astoria that were irreplaceable. And we kind of thought about our company like that, right? Um, He came in as a very successful executive at, at Marriott and at Disney and others that had to shape the story, right? What is Hilton at the end of the day, and what does it stand for? And to be able to simplify it in a way that you could remember it, and and it can help guide you in the form of a corporate, you know, statement or a corporate pur- purpose of what we're doing. I think he also then he brought in the long view. You know, I mentioned too. You know, five years from now, what decisions do we wish we would have made? Um, I remember we were looking to buy out. Uh, a partnership with a very large investor and it was a really big number. I, I don't remember all the numbers, but it had to do with, you know, a very strategic portfolio of hotels. And, with, and it was a very acrimonious uh, negotiation because, you know, as partners, uh, it wasn't going all that great. You know, it was not a good partnership. We're all, right. and people are all mad at each other. Right. And then Steve came in and cut through it all and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay, we're going to pay them their number because it doesn't matter we wanna get this deal done. And it was some number, I don't know what it was, but it was not an insignificant number, but pay the ass because you're losing sight of the bigger opportunity here. And sure enough, the bigger opportunity was kind of rolling all of this up. And then ultimately, you know, the execution of the sale to Blackstone was monumental. Right. Had that deal not gotten done, it's a whole different outcome. So taking, you know, thinking strategically, having the long view simplifying to say, here's what we're doing here, guys. This is what the plan is. And we're just going to do it. And if that means we're going to pay a little extra, it really doesn't matter in the long term. And we thought we can't pay, you know, we hate those guys, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, bad marriage is a bad marriage. You just need to get out. Life's too short. Now we're going to pay them what they want. That's just wrong, you know. (laughs) And you watch this happen, you think. He's exactly right, you know. I mean, no no one else in the room is thinking like that, right? Yeah. because you're missing the long view. Okay. And so I think, uh, and I think there's, there's other people around that you could say that really do a great job of doing that. And they really listen to what you have to say, you know, so often. And that's, that's what I think that that many people do. He did it. But I think also like, uh, when the, with the, working with the Pritzkers at Hyatt, they really cared about what you had to say. And so I think it really, it makes you really man up, you know, really be present and really have to have the right answers because, uh, you got to help people make those decisions because then all of a sudden you and I are in those situations, and we've got to make the big decisions. So how are we going to do it? You know we're gonna yeah. make sure that we have strategy, simplicity, clarity, or concise and because you know as we as we kind of mature through our careers, we're all of a sudden in that same same seat, and somebody's gonna be in there following us.
0: right. Let me paint a picture for you. You're in professional football, you have a team. Every team has the same amount of players, same budget, same everything. How does an organization like the Patriots become a dynasty? How do they succeed in ways when the playing field is supposed to be level in almost every way? How can someone like that dominate against another organization, a la Cleveland or the New York Jets, who continue to struggle? with all of the same goals, the same purpose, everything. How do you make sense of how that can happen? What's your viewpoint of how that can be so diametrically opposed to each other?
1: I think that's a great question because you're right. They're, they're playing all playing with the same ball. There's playing on the same hundred yard field uh, and people are people, right? You only have so much, he, your capabilities are about as good as mine, right? If we yeah. train and work out in good condition and, um, and I, you know what I think it comes down to? It's that inspiration and the will to win. I think you can see it in companies as well as seeing it in the teams. You just knew they were going to win. You just knew something was going to happen. You know, when Kirk Gibson stepped up to the plate, you know, and when was that, 1988? He's going to hit a home run. I mean, you just... <laughs> And you just think about that with Tom Brady or whatever, you think back at it and you say he hit the home run. You're like, of course he did, you know, where George Brett made the big play. I'm dating myself now. And then you can take that all the way forward because you knew that they had a will to win. And I think you're inspired. I think you can do that in a company, right? Mm -hmm. It's the fact that like, we're going to win. And um, and I think good companies do that. They have people in there that just say, we're going to win. And how are we going to do it? I don't know yet. But we're going to figure this out and we're going to get it done. So I think where where that difference made is not in the body. It's not Tom Brady's arm because I think, you know, all professional quarterbacks have the same arm at the end of the day. You throw the ball 75 yards uh, on a bullet. There's no difference in athletic ability or skill or talent. But I think it's that we're going to win attitude that is the difference maker for everybody. And that goes through the entire team. And I've seen it in companies that I've worked for. And it's that will to win that makes the difference. And they have inspirational leaders that just say losing is not an option. I think that's their dynasty at the end of the day.
0: How do you feel in your own way? Maybe you have an example of how adapting flexibility fits in. Because, it, again, it seems that everyone has, generally speaking, a playbook. But I've heard so many people talk about Belichick's ability to adapt on the fly, go into the locker room at halftime and come out and blow the doors off the competition. How have you been able to adapt at halftime to succeed?
1: Yeah, you know, look, I think one of the great abilities of people that rise up to or find themselves in a CEO position, they got there because of some innate ability to be able to see around corners. A lot of us look in straight lines. And so what do I mean about seeing around corners? What are the issues and challenges that we're gonna be facing? What do i see in the path that's in front of me right now i have the ability to not only study things but i can read and reflect too i can you know have the chance to be able to understand what's going on around me now the difference is Belichick's sitting over the sideline and it's not him he's got guys in the booth too right he's got a, he's you know he's got guys upstairs they're seeing things that are happening on the field and giving him data he's processing that data and he uh, he's understanding What's happening? He also he also noted that their cornerback is limping, right, or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, came up hard, came up slow from a hard hit, and all of a sudden he's processing data that he's taking in from all the other sources and has the ability to shape strategy because he's getting team input from what he can do, because he's not doing it by himself. He's making, he's being bold, right? To be able to make the calls on the fly, because some of us wouldn't do that. We would say, hey, we'll let's stick to our game plan. And that's probably a good solution too, in many cases. But I think, you know, he's got to be able to be bold and be able to see around the corner, process the data, and then be able to adapt to it. And not all leaders can do that. They're trying to see around the corner. I think he had the ability to see around the corner, but it wasn't just his ability. It was the fact that he had good people around him that could give him the data and allow him to do it. I'm going to take the conversation
0: to the dollars part of the podcast. Uh, I'm curious, as now a board member in particular, I think you sit on a comp committee as well, is how are you going about putting a value, uh, a dollar value on the contribution that CEOs or leaders make today? There's a lot of acrimony around CEO pay. It seems uh, you got pay ratios and so forth being articulated by government. I, I mean, how are you going about deciding what the value of a person is?
1: I know you do this a lot, right? You mm-hmm. you, you look at this. you you provide some ratings and rankings. And I think you're the only one that I've seen, at least in hospitality that does this sort of thing. And I think you're doing a really effective job of trying to measure returns against that. Um, Returns against uh, against compensation. And I think first of all, if you kind of put to the side, all of the kind of founder leaders that are out there, right? The people that are maybe in a little bit different situation and then you look at, okay, what does it mean to the leadership team? I, I think the components are critical it's hard to crop, meaning the components of compensation are critical, but it's hard to carve it up, right? How much value is that worth? I think what you look to do is to say, if we've got a management team that can deliver, pick a number, year over year, consistent 10% return on equity to shareholders, right? And uh, and do so in a manner that is you know providing some level of return right on an absolute basis but they're also participating on a comparative basis right i think we're really look at not, i don't really look at the salary components as much that kind of pays the bills and i don't, don't know that salary really motivates leadership it's the equity component of it and it's getting the leaders in your company lined up with your shareholders and ensuring that the metrics that you put in place have the same alignment that your shareholders are looking to do. And, you know, as shareholders are, you know, obviously all shareholders would, you know, love to have Tesla stock, you know, appreciation. But I think mostly mo- the majority of shareholders are going to look for a consistent ability to be able to increase earnings and to be able to get us, as- an X percentage amount of return on their equity over a period of time, and then align that and say, "Here's the value that is to us." And so, if we've got a CEO that can drive that kind of value to shareholders, he should be rewarded on a, on a commensurate basis. And if we're paying out performance, bueno, I mean, great, right? Right. I mean, we're sure. we're thrilled um, to pay you know to pay out performance. Oftentimes, you know, I've seen, you know, there are maybe other investors or private investors that will look to limit pay, right? How do I make sure I don't pay outperformance bonuses and let's find a way to trip things up? But I think what the more progressive leaders are saying is how do I pay outperformance if I get outperformance results? And so I think you the value you put on it is the value associated with getting year over year consistent earnings growth and a company that has a strategy and a pipeline that's allowing them to achieve it. I think, look, companies like yours do a terrific job of helping us understand what the market is for that. And I think the rewards need to be commensurate to it. And I think we do a good job of that. And look, I couldn't be more pleased than when we pay outperformance uh, targets because we're getting outperformance for our shareholders. So okay. I, I think there's a dollar value, but it's hard to carve up individual pieces. As a board member, do you struggle with the
0: short-term nature of the street though, because you're trying to look at long-term returns over time, and so forth, yet it always seems like quarter to quarter people change their tune. Uh the street in particular, with their assessment of how the company's doing, no one ever talks about five and ten year. They're talking about first quarter, second quarter, and so forth. I mean, things like share buybacks that can get a big boost, that can change your float. And it seems like, how do you, I guess, make sense of that? those two competing forces?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think when you look at it, the majority of compensation, at least in the public markets right now, is on a, you know, a th- it's really their equity value and it's, and that ha- it's a three-year cycle, right? Yes. And it, it may be, it vests over time, right? But it's arguably, you know, it, it looks at a three-year measurement period. Which, which I think is a good. I think that's a good period of time, right? That should be able to take out the highs and lows, and you know, one. The problem with these short-term compensation levels is you're you're just pegging it to a January first and December thirty-first number, which sometimes kind of loses the sight, as you said, of the seasonality of the business, seasonality of the markets, you know, of being up or down. I think if you take that those measurements over time, I think it really helps in the compensation side. I look at most investors, the majority of investors. And especially today, these giant index funds that are that are placing their bets. While the, the market goes up and down, I think the majority of investors, meaning the top ten holders of most corporations, they're in there for the long view. The Black Rocks and Vanguards and Fidelities, you know, these Conan Steers, these big, you know, mega investors, I, I think definitely have a long view. I think, you know, it's that bottom 10% um, that are that are trying to make you know money on market. Moving decisions, and I don't think they're in there for the value over a long period of time. Now, obviously, things changed, and and this is this is nothing to do with COVID because obviously it's hard to, you know, understand what people's investment decisions are today. Generally speaking, the majority of money in the market is long, and uh, especially the money that's behind the major organizations and corporations, not the Teslas and places like that, right? But the money that's behind the Marriotts and Hiltons and or the or the big REITs or you know like Host and others. They're long, and uh, they're not thinking quarter to quarter. Stock prices go up, stock prices go down. But I want you know year over year consistent dividends. I want to see year over year, uh, you know, dividend increases. I want to see year over year, you know, advancement in FFO or earnings. If you're a REIT. Um, and I think those are what the major investors do, and they're critical of, and they take the long view on strategy. So I think I think you're absolutely right, Keith. There is a there's a tendency of people to kind of watch the market, but I think it's like the, you know, look. I think another hot topic is climate change, right? And yeah. so just to use an analogy. I think big investors look at climate. Uh, short short investors look at the weather, right? I mean, right now here, uh, I woke up this, I took the dog for a walk. When I started, it was 60 degrees. When I finished, it was like 42. <laughs> you can't go by the weather. Um, but I, I'm looking longer term at climate. And I think that's what the best investors do is they understand the, the long term. They understand strategy. They understand consistency of management. And, uh, and so I, I think sometimes that gets discounted. The big groups do it exceptionally well because their eye is on the, uh, on the ball. Let me
0: leave you with one last question. We sort of touched upon it. but what do you think leaders, organizations need to do to build a dynasty? We, we, again, we talked about the, the patriots and so forth. But in the business sense, what, do, what does it take? to have that kind of sustained success over long periods of time. What's the, is there a secret sauce? Is there ingredients that have to be
1: there? Yeah, look, it's, it's all about people at the end of the day. I, I think anyway, it's not about product, right? You can have the greatest product in the world, but you know, product leadership is fleeting um, because it can be either a competition can come in or, you know, the, your market can be eroded or consumer behavior can change. Um, but I think the one thing that doesn't change is people. I, so I think, first of all, it's uh, it's ensuring you got the right people. And so it's not what are we doing, but who's doing it right. I think that know who is as important as know how, right, is leadership. Uh, and going back to you know what we've been talking about all morning here in terms of compensation, and everything else is ensuring you got the right leadership. But you've got the right team. There's inspiration and there's, there's consistency. Let, let's look at some of the top companies. Think, you know, just look at the top companies uh, in the hospitality field, just to name a few. If you think about Hilton, Marriott and others, what have they had? Consistency, you know, leadership. Like Mr. Hilton drove that company for a long time. Steve Bolenbach for a long time. Chris Nassetta for a long time. Consistency, right? Great leaders, consistent behavior, and and so I think you look at that, you look at Hyatt the same way, you know, you had the Pritzkers having majority ownership, they're a public company now, but, you know, Mark's been there and done a great job. You know, Doug Gioga before him has been there a long time and done a great. So I think it's having strong leaders and consistency. And, you know, those companies have all had a purpose. You, you can look at others that have said, look, it's been a revolving door and um, not name names. But I think, you know, if you've turned that on its head and said, well, where, where have companies kind of tripped up over time? I think it's the consistency of leadership. I think it's the people inside of it have been, you know, revolving door or there's, uh, you can kind of see it in their uh, performance. And you and I, Keith, I think you today, but maybe me less so, I'm kind of losing track of, of of all these new great leaders that are coming up through the ranks now as I'm kind of aging out of the system. But at a period of time, I was like the one degree of separation guy from anybody in this industry. And I think, you know, who these great leaders are, get them on your team, Right. Uh, motivate them, and send them, reward them, retain them, uh, but ensure that you give them the strategy, the tools, and the resources to be successful. And I think that's how you get dynasties. And that's why I think it is Hilton and Marriott and Hyatt and others. And it's not somebody else we don't know, right? <laughs> because they've had that, they've had the right people, and they've had consistency, and they've rewarded them, and people have stayed there, and they've contributed. Um, so I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Um, is that consistency sometimes that just isn't as highly rewarded you know or as highly thought of as maybe you know people's thinking about their product and portfolio and brands they just marriott just didn't wake up with great brands hilton didn't just wake up with great properties they did it over time and they did it with great leadership yeah I, i really appreciate you taking
0: some time your perspective i think is quite unique uh in terms of this industry and so forth. And I really appreciate you spending a few moments with me and ultimately our listeners uh, regarding what it takes uh, to drive success. Again, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dollars and Drivers. Until next time, this is Keith Kefchitz.